Absolutely. And Senator Fritz, I see you smiling. Is there something that you wanted to add there? Just he's such a good speaker and it's just fun to hear the truth uh, come out of a fellow DFL senator, in particular the economic points. But I smile a lot, Luke. That's just how I am. Hello and welcome to Call of the Senate, a podcast presented by the Minnesota Senate DFL Caucus. I'm Luke Bishop. Climate change has been an important focus for Senate Democrats this session. Minnesota has made important advancements in carbon-free electricity since it passed the Next Generation Energy Act in 2007, but the state is still falling short of its targets for cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Earlier this year, Governor Walls pushed for the state to achieve 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040, 10 years earlier than originally proposed. The state's two largest public utilities, XL Energy and Minnesota Power, have indicated that they're on board, though not necessarily within the governor's timeframe. So we're gonna to talk today about, the state of, about how the state of Minnesota can reach carbon neutrality, how public utilities can catch up with, to the 2040 timeline, and how Minnesota can cut its greenhouse gas emissions more broadly. We'll also discuss the benefits of a carbon-free economy, green jobs, and the transition to carbon-free electricity in Minnesota. Here with me on today's episode are Senator Nick Frentz of North Mankato. Hi, Senator, how are you doing? Hey, Luke, good to see you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, Senator Patricia Torres-Ray of Minneapolis. Hi, Senator. How are you doing today? Hello. Happy to be here. Good. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. And Senator John Marty of Roseville. Thank you for joining us, Senator Marty. How are you doing? Very fine. Good. Uh, as I mentioned, Governor Walz's push for 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040, which would be a significant step toward the state reaching the goals it set in 2007. So I'd like to begin there by asking the question, what can the Senate do to support this goal of 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040, and how will we get there? And Senator Friends, I'd, I'd like to begin with you and then hear from you, uh, hear from Senator Marty and Senator Torres-Ray uh, after that. Sure. Well, thank you, Luke. And this is really the central question facing Americans and, and people around the globe, is how are we going to um, educate, analyze, and act that you, I'm glad you mentioned the 2007 goals because I thought they were appropriate and it's worth noting they were bipartisan back in 2007. Essentially what we said is we're going to make progress, the kind of progress that Minnesotans can be proud of and we're going to do our share. I think the number one thing we can do in the Senate is what we are doing, Senator Torres Ray, Senator Marty and many others, which is educate the public. We're falling short of those 2007 goals. And at the same time, the information about climate change is even more clear. So in addition to advocacy on individual bills, and Senator Torres Ray and I are proud to serve on the Energy Committee, and Senator Marty has been a champion for years on that same committee. Um, in addition to meeting with different groups and talking to them about our positions, and in addition to doing things like this interview, we simply want to bring our message to the people that if we don't take action, that we're going to regret it and soon. And I really think we can you know, meet that challenge. Right, super important to keep the public educated and to, to do your part to share the information like you're doing today. So Senator Marty, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, you know, what, do you think, what do you think the Senate can do and how can we support the, the goal of reaching 100% carbon-free electricity by, uh, by 2040? Well, first I'll start by seconding what Nick said that we have to do a lot of educating. And so, and part of the reason for that is we're in the minority in the Senate and the Senate majority has been blocking action on this and other important bills. And uh, so we, part of it now is helping the public will and so on to put political pressure on the Senate Republicans so they start recognizing the importance. Of this. Some of them are still denying we have a problem with climate. 
And that's not, I mean, there's long past where the public has been. The public is already long on board supporting this. And the thing we have to recognize is that for Minnesota jobs, for Minnesota's economy, for everything else, this is the smart stuff to do. And I will predict that this 2040 deadline will be moved up in the future. I think it'll be moved faster because the utilities and others are gonna be coming around and getting there. But right now, we're not able to pass this legislation because of the majority. So it's very important we keep educating the public on the benefits of this, the urgency of it, and the crisis if we don't. Well, you've been known for <laughs> predicting the future correctly before. We'll see if you're, you're right on that one as well. Uh, Senator Torres Ray, do you have anything to, to add to this? Well, I think that the state performance is uh, dismal, really. We have uh, fallen behind in the reduction of uh, greenhouse emissions. And I think that we, we know exactly what are the industries that are making progress. Uh, you know, the, the, in the electrical industries, we're making progress, they are meeting goals, but we know we have done very little with the transportation industry, with the car, car industry, uh, with uh, agriculture. And we know what are some of the steps that we need to take. And unfortunately, right now, we have uh, the majority in the Senate blocking some of these steps. Uh, we have the goal was a reduction of 30% by 2025, and it's only 8%. So it's not like we're very close and we should do a little something and then we will get there. I mean, we're far behind. And for us to have a Republican majority that is opposing a change of an industry that is a major contributor uh, to, to pollution, it's just really uh, problematic for our state. And I think that uh, we, we have a proposal from the Walls administration that is pretty strong um, and the industry is behind it, to be honest. I think that, you know, even the, uh, the major companies have testified before the Senate saying, we need, to, we need to do this. We need to adopt a clean car emissions uh, policy because it's, it's the direction that we're going. And, we have tremendous opposition in the Senate and we need to do something about that. Certainly, yeah. And Is it allowed that we amplify an excellent answer with a brief after comment? Please. <laughs> Where Senator Torres Ray is right is in the transportation sector. And I just wanted to add that while we are arguing about clean cars rulemaking, which is estimated would take new electric vehicle sales from 2% where it is presently to maybe 6 to 8%, General Motors says that they are going to 100% of their vehicles. And so to the Senator's point, we're watching the rest of the world and the corporate America agree that we need to reach these goals. We're just not getting that agreement in the Minnesota Senate right this minute. Thank you, Senator Torres Ray. And, and on that point, it's, it's slowing us down. Uh, it's hurting us economically. When, when we're ahead of the rest of the states, the rest of the country, we benefit because the new jobs come here, the new um, vehicle manufacturing, other things could even conceivably come here. But, but that's the whole thing. When Minnesota jumped in the 1990s, to start wind production, it was kind of, oh, that's never gonna pay off, never gonna make sense. Now, so many rural communities are thriving because it's a huge part of their economy. A lot of farmers are getting good pay from hosting wind turbines and so on. So it's been a huge change. And if we are behind other states, we're gonna lose the jobs to the other states. Right. And 
as you all mentioned, I mean, there's a split within, you know, there, there's a split across uh, the two parties in the Senate, but within the caucus, I think there seems to be quite a bit of agreement. And I wanted to ask, you know, Senator Frentz, you know, you're chair of the Senate Clean Energy and Climate Caucus. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the work that you've done in that position and how you brought the, brought the caucus together around the issue uh, of climate. Well, we'd be doing a lot more if we were in the majority, but um, first of all, glad to note that the DFL Senate Clean Energy Climate Caucus added uh, Senator Kent Eakin last week, bringing us to all 31 members. So it is now um, a fact that everyone in our caucus is in the Clean Energy Climate Caucus. Among other things, we've held forums, we've talked about legislation. When we didn't have COVID, we met in person a little bit. And we're looking at our voice collectively on the basic issues of carbon reduction, economic justice, you know, the, the basic things that we want these policies to stand for. Um, going forward, we um, have advocacy groups uh, that talk about the Clean Energy and Climate Caucus. There's a, a surprising array of groups involved in clean energy here at the Capitol, and we connect with them and we you know, say, hey, so, Senator so-and-so will be on this or Representative so-and-so could talk to you about this. And of course, we liaison with the House Climate Action Caucus. They went with a different name, which is fine. I'm not judging. Um, and they have about 40 members over there who are in that caucus and you know, talk about policy. It is through the Clean Energy and Climate Caucus that we've seen authorship of most of the bills that the DFL Senate is championing on clean energy and climate. Right. And in that, you mentioned uh, economic and environmental justice. And I wanted to ask, you know, Senator Torres Ray, so you're, you're the ranking member of the Environment and Natural Resources Committee, and you've used your position of power to advocate for uh, environmental justice. And we all, we, we also know that it's been communities of color and low income communities who have paid the, the highest price for pollution and who will face the worst effects of climate change. So as we look ahead to the state's efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and, and transition into a carbon-free, uh, at least a carbon-free uh, energy economy, uh, it's important that communities of color are not left behind. So uh, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how we can put equity at the center of uh, the state's uh, efforts to uh, combat climate change and make sure that we're not leaving uh, any community behind. Yes, thank you for that. Uh comment, I think this is such an important issue and the Pollution Control Agency is uh, looking very seriously at developing metrics related to this area and mapping out areas where we have significant pollution, where there is high incidence of poverty. And, you know, it's interesting, we talk about communities of color and the high concentration of poverty and pollution in certain sectors, but we have the same situation in rural Minnesota. We have been uh, reviewing some of the um, uh, waste, um, uh, the, the proposal that MPCA has to address uh, waste disposal and how we are uh, producing more garbage and we are uh, proposing incineration. And uh, of course, many of our uh, climate change uh, advocates are very, very um, opposed to that. And so we're measuring that. We have some experiences, of course, in Minneapolis with HERC, where we have mapped out, you know, the incidence of toxins in the air and the soil accumulation, you know, in areas where we have very low income uh, native communities, uh, little earth located uh, to the south, to the north of my district. So we have ample evidence of the impact on health and, and health indicators in those areas. And we need to talk about this. We need to talk about these locations of these landfills, the location of these plants and what they do to these communities, but also the opportunities that exist to do something different 
you know, talking about uh, clean car emissions and how we need to develop infrastructure to connect Minnesota, right? Because that's another issue related to opening opportunities for communities that are disconnected. Um, we need charging stations for these cars and rural Minnesota needs it more than the city because of the density and the cost will be pretty high for rural Minnesota. And we're willing, you know, the, the Senate, the, 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 the uh, DFL, caucus and, and the majority in the house are very willing to invest whatever money we need to develop this infrastructure in any part of the state, you know, it, we're willing to do it. So it will open opportunity for jobs and for looking at what do we need to do to address these disparities that exist throughout the state of Minnesota. Right, and you've all at some point now mentioned or at least alluded to the fact that this transition is a great opportunity to bring green jobs to Minnesota. And so, Senator Marty, you've you know fought for clean car legislation, renewable energy standards, carbon tax. You've been doing uh, a lot for a long time um, uh, in terms of legislation to protect the planet. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you think the opportunities um, could look like for Minnesotans in terms of green jobs and as we transition into a cleaner, uh, carbon-free uh, economy. Sure. Well, the best way to measure how much we're going to create in jobs is look how we're spending our money now. As of about 10 years ago, we were exporting about $18 billion a year to buy fuel, to buy natural gas, to buy coal, to buy oil and petroleum. $18 billion for buying something that we're literally built, burning up. So it's not just figuratively burning our money, but we're taking $18 billion out of the state economy and burning it up. When you create wind or solar jobs, it's manufacturing jobs, it's installing and maintaining jobs in every community around the state, including some of the hard pressed rural communities. It's all around the state, we're creating jobs because right now the cost of wind is less than the cost of even natural gas and coal and everything else. And so instead of spending the dollars there, we're spending the jobs on creating, on the dollars are not going out to buy fuel. Instead, they're going in for things that don't need fuel. Wind turbines take time and effort and energy to install, build, maintain, and everything else. So we are creating jobs with that $18 billion of, of money that we were spending on fuel because none of the renewable energies require fuel. Wind and solar do not. And it's happening quicker than people think. In 2013, when we passed the big solar bill, we took in the previous 40 years of all of our solar capacity in Minnesota, all of the solar power we had, and we proposed a 3,500%, a 35-fold increase in solar power by 2020. Utilities, oh, we can't do that. It was only one and a half percent of our power, so we can't do that. Well, they beat the goal by more than a year. They meet it, beat it easily. Our goal for 2020, 2030 was gonna be 10%. They'll beat that easily because it creates jobs, because it's actually cheaper once we started building the stuff, the prices fell so fast and you don't have to pay the fuel. So you're protected against fuel costs. So this is a huge jobs and economic gain for the state. And it's gonna speed up, as I said earlier, I think the 2040 electric goal is gonna be sped up in the future and it's gonna be able to be done with our existing resources. We're gonna be able to save money and create jobs. Absolutely. And Senator Frentz, I see you smiling. Is there something that you wanted to add there? 
just he's such a good speaker and it's just fun to hear the truth uh, come out of a fellow DFL senator, in particular the economic points, but I smile a lot, Luke, that's just how I am. If I can, I'd like to say something about the Wallace Clean Car Initiative. Um, that was something in the 10 years, 11 years ago or so, we were working on hard. We tried three, four times to pass it. Um, then we lost the majority and had no ability to do so. And at the same time, the Obama administration implemented a tougher standard, which is important. But that's been since repealed at the federal level. And so we'd have to go through the same fight here again. But this time we have the governor who stepped in and did it. And realistically, despite the misinformation and the fear tactics, the clean car standards are going to save consumers huge amounts of money. The car costs a little bit more at the beginning, but the energy savings driving an electric car is so much cheaper to maintain and to operate. So the governor, we got to support him any way we can. One of the things that we accept in the DFL is we don't have a precise mix by 2040. We don't know that it'll be 61% solar and 38% wind, but what we have to commit to is the goal. If we don't reduce carbon emissions significantly, if we don't get to zero uh, energy generation carbons by 2040, we're gonna have a real problem. And I, I like to point out the cost of not doing anything. And one of the examples that came up last month is an estimate of the climate-related storm damage claims that Munich Re, an international reinsurance company, paid. And it's just a cost. As you know, we all share in certain costs. We share in the cost of climate change, even when we don't think we share in it. They paid $94 billion in claims related to storms that they associated with climate change in 2020. Do you know how much, Luke, they paid in 2019? I know you don't. $46 billion. And so my point is, we're seeing the costs right now of climate change and they're being shared. And by the way, we saw something from Hewlett Packard yesterday. I, I like capitalism. I hope that um, it still leaves me a place in government in the future, but Hewlett Packard's a great American company. And they just announced that they were moving their largest um, presence out of Houston, Texas. Do you know why? Because they said there's too much risk of the heavy rain event, like the rain that they had before. So here's an American company saying we are going to significant expense and it's a real capitalist company. I mean, you know, the kind with shareholders and a board of directors and they want to make money. They're saying we're out of Houston because of that risk. And let me ask you, do you think that type of change is going to be more common or less common if we don't get a handle on climate change? I'd suggest more common. So looking forward to making those points from a cost standpoint, that's what humans care about. What's the cost? Well, there's a big cost if we don't get going. I think that the choices are very clear and we have demonstrated to the public both in the house and with the governor that democrats are very willing to take huge steps to put us in the right direction and and the industries with us you know they they really know what is the future and what what are the steps that they need to take to get their you know their industries in a competitive uh position what, what is problematic right now in the state of Minnesota, and you can look at the record of all of the proposals, you know, from agriculture to transportation to landscape adaptation, uh, recycling, I mean, name the issue, there are significant proposals coming from the House that have not even received a hearing in the Minnesota Senate. And the governor's proposal, which is very aggressive, that has the support of multiple industries, has not been taken seriously and in, in the Senate. And so at this rate, Minnesota is going to be out of, out of this competitive trend that other states are you know, really moving fast to. And, and what is very sad about what we see, particularly in the Senate, 
is kind of this attitude of many senators is that we're not going to be California. It's just like, no, we're not going to be California. We're going to be Minnesota. We're going to be adopting these very uh, important measures to put our in industries in a competitive place and, and to move forward. So this reluctance just to compare ourselves to other states because they are more democratic, <laughs> it's just foolish. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty you know, important thing that we want to invite the public to really pay attention to who is the obstacle in, this, in the state of Minnesota. And you will see that unfortunately, the majority in the Minnesota Senate is a pretty big obstacle to uh, reaching these goals for the future. So we invite people to pay more attention to that and to uh, really push the Senate to act in a different direction. Well, Senator, you're absolutely right. It's really important that Minnesota leads uh, the Midwest regionally and nationally on, on climate change and taking action. So uh, I sure hope that we can, we can eventually take the majority and, and be able to finally uh, take action on all of the, the, the great legislation that the House has worked on and the governor's proposals and the numerous ideas that have been brought up during this conversation. So senators, I just want to say thank you to all of you for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk about uh, uh, these proposals and to talk about climate change and, and creating a carbon carbon free uh, future. So so thank you for for taking the time to, to join the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for joining us today on Call of the Senate. Find us online at senatedfl.mn or on social media under the username at senatedfl. See you next week.